Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Thomas here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And today I'm going to do a whole bunch of talk on the new collective bargaining agreement, as well as just kind of a bunch of Bulls news that's collected over the last three, four weeks since I did the last podcast. Uh, some fun things, some little unimportant things, some things that I think are just like logical corrections, uh, where I think fans are emotional and overblown, and just some kind of general talk. You're probably going to be pretty mad by the end of this, but you know, hopefully uh, you'll make it there anyway. Uh, the first thing I'm going to talk about is Jerry Reinsdorf did this interview with like modern executives and had a bunch of quotes and Bulls Nation just picked apart all of these quotes. And I think it's kind of one of those things where people are just so mad at Jerry. They just don't want to hear him say anything ever because there's like nothing he said that was, you know, really that bad. He said, listen to your executives and let them work. You know, if you think you know more than them, you've hired the wrong people. You can't win every year. You know, finishing second to fourth is fine. Like, is, is there, I think he was really referring more to baseball than basketball with that. But, but either way, is, is that wrong? Like, you don't win the title every year. You want to be good every year. You know, he talked about wanting to put a team on the floor that had a chance every year and that fans could get behind feeling like they have a chance. Like, I think that's absolutely true, too. I don't like people are like, oh, he just wants he has a loser mentality. Like, no, it's a pretty realistic mentality. You don't get to be a billionaire and then like just live your life on hope, dreams, cocaine and unicorns. Like you actually think about things from a practical perspective. It's very practical to say, look, we want to be solid every year. We want to have chances to win. You know, we would love to win every year, but like we just know that's not possible. That That's actually like reality. So anyway, I think I think Reinsdorf was beat up a little bit too much. A lot of people have kind of come around to the idea that like the Bulls can't be successful under Jerry Reinsdorf. There's just no way, which is sort of funny because they did win six titles under Jerry Reinsdorf. So clearly it, it, it's possible. Maybe it just takes us, you know, drafting the next uh, Michael Jordan. Of course, uh, that didn't happen as the Bulls did not move up in the lottery. There was this talk about uh, Mark Eversley, like fist pumping like after the Orlando card came up and everyone initially thought he was angry. I think, I think he just looked like he thought we won the lottery. And, and cause I tell you for like a split second, I also thought we did, you know, cause I'm just sitting there going like, it's going to be bulls. If it's not the bulls logo, we won not thinking about whose logo it should be, which it should have been Dallas. But even if you know, it's Dallas, like initially it just starts popping up and you see blue and like, that's like the Mavericks color. And you're like, we, we won, we moved up. And then no, 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 that was uh, Orlando from the bulls. So it went as expected, but I think I think Eversley was initially just for a split second fooled by the same thing as me, and you know whatever. Anyway, I, I, I it was funny people made fun of him for it, and I thought like <laughs> like this is where we're at. We're making fun of a guy for fist pumping, you know. It's just one of those things where bitterness has set in. Like non-events have happened, things that don't matter whatsoever, and like fans get really upset. It's like if you're in a marriage and all of a sudden like a neutral event happens, like you just you know do the dishes. And then someone's like mad that you didn't do the dishes correctly or something. You know, that's when bitterness is set in. Like you didn't put the plate away after you did the dishes. It, it, the fans are just like that with the bulls. Now, anything that happens, that's just totally neutral. and means nothing. People are like trying to find some way to be pissed off about it. And so I, I try to roll those things back. Like there's plenty of things I'm upset about. No listening to this cast or following me on Twitter or on real GM that I'm not real psyched with the current management. I, I don't think they've done a great job overall. I think their strategy has been poor of like trying to take, a very young team that was 
you know, kind of on the rise and trade all of the young assets and future assets for win now assets when you were so far away from doing, doing something meaningful. And I said at the time, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be two years down the road and you're going to be like, these guys are the worst people ever. And it's going to feel fun now in the moment, but it's going to look really bad later. And that's exactly what's happened. I'm not a genius. This was like super obvious. Like all the national NBA guys were like, what are these guys doing? It was only Bulls fans and like Bulls writers who were like trying to find something you know, positive around, you know, what they were doing. But like the national guys were like, yeah, this is insane. Like, what are they even doing here? And, you know, that proved out to be right. So this wasn't any genius. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. Just, you know, I, I don't like the strategy they implemented and it was destined to fail. Uh, anyway, I've talked about that beating it to death. So um, we'll go more into that now. We will go, though, into the new collective bargaining agreement. So they've signed a term sheet. The new collective bargaining agreement is not fully out there. You can't see it yet. Um, I've got most of my information, shout out to Nate Duncan and Larry Kuhn, uh, who was on the Nate Duncan dunked on podcast in just like an hour and a half on the CBA. So I'm going to try and take a lot of the information they presented, uh, present it a little bit more narrowly because I don't think you need all the details and kind of talk about it a little bit from a bull's angle. But if you want a great podcast, this is on the dunked on free show, not the prime where you have to pay the subscription, though. I love Nate Duncan. I pay a subscription too. Uh, if you didn't know, also an original Bulls fan from Chicago. But uh, this is a free one. So you can go download that if you're interested in seeing even hearing even more information. So uh, with that said, and giving proper credit uh, where it is due, uh, there is now a second apron. We've all heard about that. There's some changes to the first apron. Um, that are going to make that a little bit more restrictive. And overall, what the league has done is they've tried to make it so teams don't go deep into the tax, and it's a little bit less punitive if you go a little bit into the tax. So right now, uh, and, and from now going forward, all of the aprons and all the exceptions and everything are going to scale with the salary cap. So there won't be these like odd things where like the, they don't go up at the same rate. Uh, which was true for some of the, the stuff in the past. So now they're always going to scale with the, the salary cap. So the first apron is about $6 million over the tax. The second apron is only about $17.5 million over the tax. So if you want to stay under the tax, you're probably now, as you'll hear later, going to be within $17.5 million of the highest spending team. So like the gap like right now where I think the Warriors are about like $50 million over the tax. Uh, with the second apron, you're not going to see that a whole lot anymore. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain why. You're, you're probably going to see teams stand under that. So some changes now for the first apron, which is about $6 million over the tax. If you have a trade exception, it now expires at the end of the year instead of one year from the date of which the trade was made. So this means you basically have to use the trade at the trade deadline, the trade exception rather, at the trade deadline of the year in the summer that you generated it. Or if you generated it at the trade deadline, you effectively need to use it immediately at the same deadline because it's going to expire at the year end. Uh, they were a little bit unsure about that. I guess it wasn't spelled out entirely um, explicitly, but that's how they, Nate and Larry both interpreted it in the term sheet. Uh, secondly, you can no longer sign a waived player if his previous salary was above the mid-level exception. So Russell Westbrook makes 40-something million dollars. He gets waived. Uh, he can no longer go to the Clippers because they're above the first apron and his salary was above the middle of the exception. So they can't sign him for the minimum. He can only go to a different team uh, that is below the first apron, $6 million uh, above the luxury tax. Uh, what this may result in, and I, I'm going to guess it does result in this a lot, is a lot of guys who are right around the mid-level exception, they sign for $1 less than the middle of the exception because then it's like, all right, now I'm not, if I get waived later on, I can go to any team I want. 
and it's going to cost me a dollar. What do I care? Look, so every every contract will now be whatever, some diminished amount below the mid-level exception. I'm not sure it's exactly the mid-level exception either, so maybe you won't have to do that. Maybe an exact MLE guy will still be able to do that. Um, but either way, people will work around that if it's a few dollars. Uh, you will not be able to trade any extra salary, or sorry, uh, to bring in a guy in. So like, so right now, if you're within trade matching rules, it's like 25% over. And then I think, I think it was 25% over if you're above the tax or within 5 million if you were in the six to $10 million range. Uh, that's gone now. You can only bring in 100% of the salary you send out. Uh, if you do any of those things, of those above things, you are hard capped at the apron and you can't go above it. There's no way you can do them in one order and then, and then whatever. Like you, if, you, if you do any of them, your hard cap becomes the apron. If you're above the apron, you can't do any of them. So there's no way to like sneakily change the order of things to, to get there. Like sometimes you can with like cap holds and signing players. All right, so th those changes aren't so big. Um, I, you know, I don't think the trade exception is gonna be that big of a deal. I think the mid-level exception waiver guys is kind of an interesting one. Uh, basically, it's going to push the buyout market more towards other teams. And there's going to be another rule that talks about that later, too. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Um, and then not being able to expand your salary when you're above the apron through trades by taking in more salary than you send out. That's going to make put a lot of limitations on deals, too. Um, so now the second apron. This is if you're 17.5 million, roughly, over the tax. Uh, you no longer get the tax level, mid-level exception. So you can no longer add anyone like that. You can no longer aggregate salaries and trades. So I can't trade two $10 million guys for one $20 million guy anymore. I need a $20 million guy to bring in a $20 million guy. Uh, you can no longer send cash out in a trade. If you're this rich, you can't use your money in that way anymore. You, this one was weird, and I don't know how it's going to work out, but it said you can't acquire a player that was on a sign-and-trade with another team. So if the Bulls sign-and-traded... Zach Levine, or, or sorry, DeMar DeRozan to some other team. I guess we'll see. Nikola Vucevic to some other team. They trade him to the Orlando Magic in a sign and trade. Uh, then the Warriors want Nikola Vucevic. They couldn't trade for him because he was on a sign and trade on that deal. That's how they interpreted it. It didn't really make a lot of sense. I don't know what they're trying to do there. I don't think it's going to be a big deal. Um, and then now here's the big one. <laughs> they now are going to lock and freeze draft picks if you're above the second mid-level exception. And it's really nuts what they're doing. I really thank these guys for breaking this down because it didn't quite make sense. So if you are above the second apron, you're Golden State this year. And these rules will not kick in until the summer of 2024. So they won't kick in this year. So in the summer of 2024, Golden State is still above the second apron. Their 2031 draft pick is frozen. They can't trade it. Uh, and there's no way you can have previously traded it because you, right now, the most they could trade is their 2030. So now it's frozen. There's no way to get around it or anything, any sneaky stuff you can do. Um, and they can't trade it. If they are above the second apron in two of the next four years, then that pick is locked. They can never trade it. And it moves to the end of the draft. So it's like pick number 30, no matter where they are. So now let's say Golden State is above the apron. Let's look at the Golden State's last like four or five years. They've been above this like second apron like four years in a row. So if you went back in time, their seventh pick would now be three years out. So it would be 2025. You'd have the 23, 24, 25. The 2025 pick would be frozen and it would be locked because they spent more than one year above the apron. Their 26th pick would be frozen and it would be locked. 
Their 27 pick would be frozen and it would be locked. And their 28 pick would be frozen and it would be locked. And because they're still above the apron, their 29 pick would be frozen. Um, it wouldn't be locked yet. But so now they would have basically every pick if you stayed above the apron for a period of time. You couldn't trade any of them and they would all be at the end of the draft. They would all be pick 30. And so you start looking at the accumulation of these rules and unless you just have an amazing superstar studded cast, it's just incredibly punitive. You know, some of the stuff you do to acquire and stay above the apron and acquire players, you can no longer do because you can't aggregate salaries to get a better player. So you can't trade two kind of average guys to get a better guy and then extend him, which is one way teams got above. You no longer have the tax mid-level exception. You can only operate the minimum. You can no longer make waiver claims on guys who used to make a lot of money. And now you can't trade, basically, if you stay above here for any length of time, you're going to start running out of picks you can trade really fast, and your picks are also going to be frozen in the future, and they're going to be at the end of the draft. The, the net effect of this is, while it's not a hard cap, boy, does it come close to acting like a hard cap. And so you're just, it's just going to be so punitive to be above there that unless you were like the Warriors over the last previous four years, where you're like, yep, we are a dynasty-type team, whatever, we're going to be completely screwed three years from now, but we, we got four titles and we don't care. Like if you're in that situation, yeah, sure. Of course. But unless you're in that situation, it's just going to be incredibly punitive to be more than uh, 17.5 million over the tax. And so from a bull's perspective, when you start thinking about this, you know, the bulls don't like spending the tax, right? We know the bulls are not a big spending team. They now are not going to be operating at nearly as big a deficit as they might've been otherwise. Now, I don't think the bulls would actually shy away from paying the tax as long as they have a chance to win. And I've said this lots of times, like no one pays the tax to be a first round loser. You have to feel like you're going to get out of the first round before you pay the tax. Some teams are losers and pay the tax, but it's because they had higher expectations and then they didn't meet them or they signed up for a bunch of long-term stuff and couldn't get out of it after the team fell apart. And now they, they pay it for year two, but no one signs up purposefully to pay the tax to be a first round exit team. And that's really where the bulls are. There's like no reasonable path. You would look at this team and say, yeah, of course, if I, if I bring in a mid-level exception guy and we go $3 million into the tax that we're going to get past the first round of the playoffs, you would still be expected to be a play in slash first round loser slash lottery team next year. And so that's why they're not going to pay the tax. They're just not going to, at least this year. But if they had a good team and they're like, yeah, we're, we definitely look like we're a top eight team in the NBA then I think for sure you would see them being willing to spend a tax. All right, a little bit more tax rules. Uh, so now the brackets of what you pay is also changed. So zero to five million, it was a dollar fifty. Now it's a dollar. Five to ten million was a buck seventy-five. Now it's a dollar twenty-five. Ten to fifteen million was two fifty. Now it's three fifty. So if you do some quick math. Uh, you found out they, they lopped 50 cents off each of the two previous buckets and added a dollar under the third bucket. So if you're at 15 million, you're, you're net the same. So, and I'll go through this. 15 to 20 million was 325. Now it's 475. Uh, Nate and Larry didn't say how it escalates past 20 million, but I'm assuming there's like like a buck 50 or $1.75 per dollar past that. I don't know what it is, but probably something. And the repeater tax went from $1 to $3. So I'm going to run some, through some practical examples. Uh, if you are $5 million over the tax, you would have paid uh, $7.5 million before, now you pay five. If you were $10 million over the tax, you would have paid $16.25 million, now you pay eleven point two five. If you were $15 million over the tax, you're going to break even. If you're $20 million over the tax, you would have paid forty five. now you're going to pay 52 dollars So now you're going to see that increase once you get $20 million up. 
Uh, unsure afterwards, but probably going to scale off. Now, the thing that's really punitive here is the repeater tax going from a dollar to three dollars, because anyone who's like super deep in the tax, they're clearly there for lots of years. It's hard actually to get deep into the tax. So if you're deep into it, you're probably stuck there for a while. Uh, it, I couldn't really easily calculate out what the warrior's tax would be without knowing what the plus 20 bracket looks like now, because it's probably more punitive, but it's not stated. Uh, but just in repeater tax alone, they would have had an extra $100 million on their tax fee this year. And so, and it probably would have been an extra like 30 or 40 million um, with the other escalations too. So it's really going to tamp down with some of these teams uh, that are really incredibly high spending are going to do. And I think you're going to see these teams get under the second apron so that they're not losing their draft picks. So you've got systemic rules and then you've got financial penalties. So that when you go 20 million above, you start paying and you, and you're in multiple years, you're going to start just paying insane penalties relative to the marginal ability for you to do better. And I just think you're going to stop seeing teams do that. Uh, there's also some interesting stuff they did to convince teams to stay above the minimum salary cap. And you're not going to see teams be able to do this anymore. And I think this is interesting too. The minimum is like 90% of the cap. And one of the advantages of being below the cap is like you could then use your cap space later to bring in players on trades and you could get draft picks and you could use your cap room and all this. You can still do all that, but you're going to have to do it in the summer now. You can't, you're not going to be able to stay under the cap and do it a lot at the trade deadline. Now you can still be 10% under, but 10% is not enough to like take on like massive amounts of salary anymore, right? Like if the cap is 130 million, so 10% under is, is 13 million you can have in cap space. So that's like, that's the amount you're going to be able to absorb. Uh, so here's, here's how that changes. Uh, you have to pay the difference between the minimum salary and your salary to the league. So you're not actually going to save any real cash if you're, below 90%. You just have to give that money straight to the league. They put it in their charities, whatever else they're going to do to it. Maybe they distribute it to other teams. Who knows? Uh, you no longer get the luxury tax distribution. So you're going to lose that 12 million. Just like if you're in the tax, if you're under, you're also going to lose it. So that's going to cost you another uh, $12 million by current rules. I actually think luxury tax distributions are going to be way less uh, because right now it's like the Warriors are given like every team like in the league like six million dollars, and same with like the Clippers. Uh, with a second apron, they're gonna they're gonna get their salaries down, and that's not gonna be the case anymore. Uh, and without those two teams like just making insane tax payments, the distribution is just gonna be radically different. Uh, but as it stands now, you would lose that like ten twelve million dollars. Uh, you get a cap hold to put you at the minimum, so you can't use it to collect larger contracts. So now, if you're like at sixty percent of the salary cap. You pay all the money to get up to 90 to the league. You don't get the tax distribution, so you pay. You could lose $10 million. And that uh, whatever $20 million gap, uh, you have a cap hold for that, so you can't take on a $30 million contract. You can still only take on a $13 million contract. Uh, you can no longer make any contracts, uh, tra sorry, transactions to go below the minimum salary if you're currently above it. So say I'm at 91% of the salary cap and I want to make a trade and it's unbalanced in some way, and it would get me down to 80% of the cap, it's illegal. I can't do it. Um, some things that might come out of this I think is interesting is depending how they state the rule, you might create a lot of one-year deals to get to the minimum salary and then also have like really tradable contracts. And depending how they word that with guarantees and non-guarantees, you might see teams saying like, hey, you know what? I'm going to sign uh, this guy for... $20 million and I'm going to make his guarantee date in March. And, you know, if I waive him by March, you know, whatever, he's non-guaranteed the rest of the year. And so now I go into the trade deadline and this guy counts as 
twenty million dollars on the books. For me, I, I the way the cap accumulates, I pay you know it's two thirds of his salary roughly by the trade deadline. I pay two thirds of that, so you know I, pay, I paid that towards the minimum. I now trade him to a team trying to dump a player to get out of the luxury tax for like twenty million dollars. They waive him immediately, and now their their money goes down. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I think though it's the case that with the luxury tax calculation now, the amount you've totally spent on players counts towards your tax, not just the salary holds on your books. So like if you if they spent $16 million on a player and then they trade him, that $16 million still counts as accumulated towards their tax bill, even though they waived, they knew the guy they got the $20 million, so they only saved like the $4 million difference. But you might start seeing stuff like that. Um, and I could be wrong about how that's calculated out. Nate and Larry didn't go into that part. I'm, I'm now going off past memory and what they had in the previous collective bargaining agreement. But they are trying to close weird loopholes like that, so we'll see you know, how this actually gets implemented. Um, another big change, not necessarily Bulls-related, but an interesting change, the non-tax MLE, the room exception, and the biannual exception, they can all be used now to make waiver claims if you're under the apron. Um, so this lessens the value of trade exceptions because now all these other exceptions could basically be acted as trade exceptions. Like that's one thing. And then also now when a player gets waived, if a team didn't use their mid-level exception, they can offer that guy the mid-level exception um, to, to do a waiver claim and take on his salary. So if you know some guy making $5 million was waived, I can now bring him in with my non-tax mid-level exception except his contract at $5 million. Um, you can also now use these things for trades. So... If I want to trade for a guy, I can take a $10 million guy. I can take him directly into my team with my mid-level exception and not send back any salary. Uh, so that's actually going to increase a lot of these trade permutations. A lot of the tax rules above are going to limit some of the trade permutations. This is a way that you're going to increase it. So you have a lot more flexibility now, but you have to be under the apron. So again, this is a rule that systemically uh, creates a lot more value to be under the apron. And so what the league is trying to do overall with this is they're creating financial incentives to stay below the apron and certainly below the second apron. But they're also giving you advantages in how you can craft your team and put it together if you're below these numbers. Uh, so even staying below the first apron is now going to be, there's going to be some uh, exception. Uh, they're increasing the room exception by 30%. I think it's around like $5 million now. So I guess that makes it around $6 million. Is that right? No. Be five. Yeah, six and a half, something like that. I'm trying to do the quick math in my head. Uh, trade matching rules for people who are under the apron. Uh, the wiggle room is higher. So now if you're in the 6 to $10 million range, you have $7.5 million of wiggle room instead of 5. Um, if you're below $5 million, it's, it's up to 200% of the matching on the contracts instead of 175%. So there's a little extra wiggle room on, on caps. Uh, there's a new exception to try and get rid of the Gilbert Arenas problems. You don't have to use it, but you can use it. It's the second round pick exception. So now a second round pick can be signed to an exception for three years or four years, instead of using part of your mid-level exception or something else to get a larger than two-year deal. It used to be you could use this minimum two-year exception to get them in, but now you can sign a three- or four-year deal. Um, if you sign them, their minimum salary starts one year escalated for the three-year deal or two years escalated for the four-year deal. So if I sign you to the three-year deal, and it wasn't unclear whether it has to start at that or whether it can start at that. Instead of coming at the rookie minimum, which is like 600000 you would come in at the first year minimum, which is like a million. Uh, I think from a practical sense, no one's going to use the four-year version of this because you have restricted free agent rights for guys who are on non-rookie deals for the first three years. So unless they add in 
restricted rights for the second round pick exception to be four years. I think you would rather just sign a guy for you know a cheaper deal for three years and then also have restricted rights at the end of the deal than you would to do a four-year deal and sign, pay him more money and then not have restricted free agent rights. That seems like something they, they simply don't want to do. It doesn't eliminate the Gilbert Arenas pre- pre- the exception entirely because you don't have to use this when signing a second rounder. So if you don't, you can still end up in the Arenas uh, exception territory, and that will still exist. It's not uh, not not changing anything. Um, extensions can now be 40% instead of 20%. I don't know why you just don't make the extensions eligible to be whatever the guy can sign for as a free agent. So this doesn't really do much to solve the problem, in my opinion. But I guess if you were in that, that gap where like the extra 20% helps you, you, you now are okay, and you wouldn't have been before. Uh, you can now do any rookie extension up to five years, even if you're not paying at the max, which was not the case before. You had to offer a max deal to get the fifth year before. Now any deal can be five years. Uh, you can now have um, multiple designated players on your roster. So some of the weird things like we can't trade for Ben Simmons because he's a designated contract guy and he also sucks and we have a different designated contract guy. That that no longer matters, so that's a good change. Uh, you can talk to your own free agents after the finals instead of waiting for July 1st. It's such a ridiculous rule because now, now you, you could you could have, I don't know, just make it so after a player season's over, everyone can talk to everyone. When your season's over and you're a free agent, you can start talking. That's what people are doing in practicality. Uh, they're trying to create more rules around jumping the gun, so now no one can announce deals prior to the moratorium. They're going to find agents and discipline agents if they leak deals. Um, they're going to discipline teams, of course, uh, I don't know what the purpose of this is. It, it really seems to go against the league. It'll be interesting to see if the deals still come out because like in the end, it's Woj reporting it. And like, what are, what's the league going to do? Like try and subpoena Woj and say, who told him? Like they can't do that. Like they, they have no legal authority to do that. So I don't know how they're going to manage it, but they want to try to remove the impression that everyone is talking early and instead just remove this dumbass rule. It's so stupid. Anyway, uh, the restricted window for... Uh, restricted for agents uh, for matching it shortens but it doesn't start till after the moratorium ends and like basically all deals are agreed to by that point anyway so there's no money left so i just don't think it really matters they just need to get rid of the moratorium like altogether. just just kill the moratorium let everyone start talking you know the second their seasons end and just go from there like it'd be such better and it it creates like a better news cycle it creates more excitement for the league like I i don't even know what they're doing there anyway so that's everything about the new collective bargaining agreement. And so if you just want me to sum it up for you really quick, the biggest news out of this is if you're under the tax, you're gonna have more systemic rules in your favor. And then the penalties for being in the tax are so severe that you're just gonna see a considerable shrinkage of how much teams will be differed in salary. Like teams are now gonna be clumped in salary within um, we'll say, I don't know, it's like, uh, probably $25 million, $30 million, like wherever the luxury tax starts and, and it was 17 and a half above that. And then 90% of the minimum or the, yeah, 90% of the salary cap. So teams are all going to be clustered in that area. Um, all right. Some other news we've got, uh, Jimmy Butler, just absolutely just stomping ass, like just, just kicking ass. And this has brought in a whole new wave of, this was the dumbest thing we ever did trading Jimmy Butler. It was so terrible and blah, blah, blah. 
Clearly, it was a mistake to trade Jimmy Butler. I'm not even going to begin to try and tell you. Otherwise, Jimmy Butler has been fantastic. Um, no one in the NBA liked Jimmy Butler. And the reason why no one liked Jimmy Butler is Jimmy Butler was kind of an asshole. Like, he said, me or the coach to the Bulls, they chose the coach. I don't think really chose the coach. They just chose not to be with a guy who was going to be this difficult to work with. And they looked at the team and said, we don't really have a great way to rebuild around Jimmy Butler. Um, we're not sure Jimmy Butler is a true superstar. Uh, so wrong, wrong, and wrong. Like, like it's not, not like they're right. They're wrong in all those things. But like, there's like a lot of like smoke here that was really negative that they said, okay, in these circumstances, like, yeah, maybe it makes sense to just, just start over. So they traded him. You know, actually what they got back was pretty decent. Zach Levine, multi-time all-star. Lowry just made the all-star team. Two guys much younger became all-stars. Like they, they got back good value in terms of what they ended up acquiring. It was fun. Jimmy Butler goes to the Timberwolves after a year, uh, definitely ramps up their ability while he's there and healthy. Then he demands out because he hates everyone there. They trade him. The whole league has the option to get Jimmy Butler, and the best offer is Robert Covington and Dario Sarge. Like, like anyone in the league who's like, wow, I could get a two-way superstar, and it's going to cost me Dario Sarge and Robert Covington, like, like a deep rotation player and like a you know, like low-end, low-rung starter, like fifth starter. No one wanted to beat that deal. No one. No one in the league wanted to beat that deal. Philadelphia, as a free agent team, team competing to win the title, they say, you know what? We'd rather have Tobias Harris than Jimmy Butler because Jimmy Butler just doesn't get along with Ben Simmons and he can't make this work. And everyone will say Jimmy Butler was right about all these things. And he was. Like, Jimmy Butler was right. Like, all right, Carl Anthony Towns doesn't look like a winner. We all know Ben Simmons is a loser. We all know the Bulls situation didn't go anywhere. Like, so Jimmy Butler was right about stuff. Being right about things is not a panacea for all the problems in your life, though. Like, you can be right and still conduct yourself in a way that hurts you. And, that, like, that happened with Butler. Like, he lost out on a Supermax that he would have had if he played good soldier and say with the Bulls. Like, they would assign him to a Supermax. If he had done the same thing in the 76ers, if he had played good soldier and whatever, they'd have taken him over Tobias Harris. They'd have still realized Ben Simmons was a loser a year later and got rid of him. But then ben, yeah, Jimmy Butler would have had a much better chance to win a title. They probably would have won a title if you had Butler and Embiid for the last few years together. Like, so he lost on a lot of ton of money. He lost on a much better chance to win a championship. Um, and you know, he found his niche in Miami. He's playing really well. Hats off to Jimmy Butler. I, I mean, I hope, I hope he gets a championship this year. I would be fantastic if the Heat won a title. I have, like, nothing against him. Like, so when I say all these things, it's not like, oh, I think Jimmy Butler is this terrible guy. It's just, like, this is the reality of kind of, like, what what transpired and why it transpired that way. Like, like it wasn't like, oh, Jimmy Butler is just such a fantastic dude. He's really easy to work with, and everyone loves him. Like, no, the whole league, like, was kind of poisoned on him. Um, and, and, they were, and, and so for, like, legitimate reasons. Like, it wasn't like, it wasn't like this was an accident, you know, that happened. He, like, feuded with Derrick Rose, feuded with Carl Anthony Towns. Feuded with Andrew Wiggins, feuded with uh, Ben Simmons. Like, it's like a lot, it's like, it's like a pattern after a while. It's like if you meet someone and it's like every single person they date, like, is, is like a bad person, you start thinking, like, well, you either attract bad people or maybe you're not so great. So it's like a little bit of that. So, whatever. He found his perfect niche and he's been fantastic. I've loved watching him. Like, and it, it's sad because he's such a classic Chicago icon type player like just grind work hard we have enough Tom Thibodeau era like perfection type player so it's really sad that like it didn't work out here um and and like look in the end it's it was a mistake like I'm not trying to talk anyone out of it not being a mistake um it was but 
it was of the it was the th- the third third place mistake of the teams that let go of Jimmy Butler, and really I'd say of all the teams that were involved in Jimmy Butler had the chance to trade for him. Everyone in the league, the Bulls in some ways had the best scenario out of that outside of the Heat because they you know like like any team in the league would have been smart to outbid on Robert Covington and Darius Arch for Jimmy Butler or outbid on Josh Richardson for Jimmy Butler and he and no one did. No one did like, you know, so the Bulls actually got the most back in that. Um, so like, whatever, if you want to criticize the, the front office about it, like they screwed up for sure. Um, but really, this was something the whole league screwed up. It, it really is. And, and hats off to Butler for shoving it in everyone's face and making really the whole league look wrong, except for the Miami Heat, except for Pat Riley, who is like the, the greatest of all time general manager. It's like Pat Riley and Jerry West. Like those are the guys you would you would maybe put up there as is the chance and maybe someone's going to throw a red Arbach at me or something like whatever. I wasn't, I wasn't alive when red Arbach was GM. So I have no idea how great he was totally different era. Like you could just, just totally different era. You could outbid everyone. You, if you actually had scouts, like you could be really great. Like they couldn't even look at guys. It was like all word of mouth. It's just insane. But so a totally different era, but like in the modern quasi modern era, I know Jerry West was also maybe far enough back as a different era. It's like, it's like West and, and Riley. Uh, like the the two all time greats, uh, you know, and it's sort of funny because Riley was also like a Lakers guy too. You know, it's like <laughs> both of them come out of the Lakers organization. Uh, but yeah, hats off to Riley, greatest of all time general manager. He was the one who saw through this and made it happen, and made it work, and put in a culture where it worked. And you know, you can't think of two guys that probably you know fit better together than Pat Riley and Jimmy Butler. Like, <laughs> like I think there's just two peas in a pod there in term, terms of how they want to do everything. So uh, go Heat, assuming they can knock off Boston. You know, as we said today, they're up 3-1. to one. I, I can't imagine Boston winning three in a row against Miami, but you never know. But I'll, I'll certainly be rooting for Miami against Denver uh, in, in the finals. It would be just a tremendous story if he was going to, to win there. And, and finally, I'm going to get you out of here on some Bulls trade stuff and some thoughts about what the Bulls need to do now. And so the first thing is, Here's a challenge for the front office right now. All right, you've, you've boxed yourself into a corner. You tried some stuff. In some ways, you got unlucky. You know, like you hit the worst case scenario with this Vooch trade and that like you gave up two lottery picks. One of those lottery picks already hit and looks really good. Wendell Carter Jr. looked a lot better with the Orlando Magic, which wasn't surprising. I mean, he, he looks really solid here at times and just couldn't really stay healthy. And so the worst case scenario there, that's a little bit bad luck, right? Like this trade doesn't look so bad if the Bulls sneak into the first round twice and you give up picks like 14 and 16 or something, right? Like it just, I guess it would be 15 and 16. Anyway, it doesn't look so bad if you if you had done that, right? Then the value going there wouldn't have been so bad. It still would be bad because now you're like, well, Vooch is a free agent. We're going to have nothing. And we gave up three things more valuable than Vooch. But it wouldn't look as bad, you know? Then, and you would have gotten more value out of him having here. So they got a little bit unlucky there. I don't want to overstate it, you know, just like, I don't want to be overly bitter, like I discussed earlier. Um, but so now like you, you're out a lot of future assets and you're kind of got a couple guys who are older on your team. Most of the team is still reasonably young though. It's really just Demar and Vooch that are older players that you got to work on. Uh, maybe you got to keep an eye on Zach. He's 29. Like you got another three, four years there, but you know, at some point you can start thinking about, does it make more sense to flip him somewhere or to keep him and, and what the offer might be. And so, while looking at this team, here's what I think. Either one, you got to get younger and more sustainable, build a long-term asset base. You know, you're still out the pick in this draft. You're out your 2025 protected-ish pick. 
uh, going forward. So you're still out a couple of, you know, important future assets. Uh, you've got two big risks in Damar and Vooch. And, and Vooch may not be back anyway. He's a free agent. We don't know. But you got two big risks there that are major contributors to your roster. So only having two or older guys isn't that big a deal. But having two older guys that are like two of your top three contributors is, is a bigger deal. So you got to figure out a way to get younger uh, with a sustainable level of success. So if, if I could somehow move Damar and Vooch for some other package of things and still be about the same quality as I am right now and still be about the same cost as I am right now, that would be a big win, right? Like now you've you've moved into a period where like, all right, I navigated this and I can I've I have sustained this around league average level and I now have more time to build other stuff and my assets aren't depreciating. Like that would be a big win. Uh, the second thing you could do is you could do something that would make you just better, right? Like if you could make some kind of move and you're better, you'd be like, yeah, okay, now instead of being a mid-level team, I'm now like say you know, a four or five, six seed type team. If you had some way to bring in talent that would like raise you up like a tier, that would be better. And if you have some way to get cheaper and more flexible, like I'm like my roster right now is like basically right at the tax line, most likely depending what we do this summer. If you had some way to be like, all right, I was able to reset this, this, and this, and we're about the same talent level and we're about the same age, but now I'm $30 million less in total salary commitments and I got a couple extra draft picks and now I can make other moves like later on. That would be better. So it's basically like, can you get uh, younger slash longer term asset base? Can you improve the results on the floor? Can you get more flexible and cheaper with your cap and pick situation? Those are like the three kind of things. And in development, I work in software development, there's like a, a rule. It's like you want good, cheap, or fast. Uh, pick, pick one. Maybe you get one and a half if you're lucky. And so the bulls are kind of in that thing. Like these, these three things kind of like work against each other. Like it's hard. It's going to be super hard to do all these things because no team is going to say, well, we're going to get older, worse, and more expensive. We'll, we'll gladly, you know, like you have to pull off a miracle trade to do the reverse of that. You have to like pull the wool over someone's eyes. So these three things work against each other and the bulls may have to choose which of these things do they really want to value. And, you know, the two you can do really easily at the same time are you can get younger and build the long-term asset base and you can get cheaper and more flexible. Those two things can kind of go together. You trade expensive players for longer term, whatever. Uh, the problem is they generally tend to extremely tank the third thing, which is the results on the floor. So that's kind of the challenge for the Bulls front office. You want to see them, how they're going to react to these three legs of the stool and can they move two of them, you know, without the third. And, you know, Based on their press conference, it seems like they are not willing to hurt the improve the results on the floor. They're, like, they're just like flat out, like we're not going to get worse on the floor. It's important to us not to do that. And so that's the, that's the challenge. It's going to be really hard to do those, either one of those two other things and keep that third thing neutral. And I think that is what I would view as success in terms of how they operate this season based on their goals. Now, I would still not set the same goals as them. I would implement a different strategy. I would implement the let's get younger, more flexible, cheaper. And yeah, if we're worse, we're worse. That's just the way it goes. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, final thing is, and now there's a bunch of kind of like trade rumors out there there with uh, Memphis potentially wanting Damar or Zach. I just, I think it's just stuff thrown against the wall. Like they need talent in there. And hey, the Bulls have talent they might be willing to get rid of. Memphis owns all their draft picks. What could you actually get here? If we could send... DeMar and Vooch in a sign and trade and bring back JJJ, 
I'd be all over it. Would Memphis do that? Probably not. Um, otherwise, I, I just don't know what I want on Memphis. You know, like Dylan Brooks has been one of those guys turning around like, I don't know what we do with Dylan Brooks. He can't shoot. You know, like, I, I just, uh, we have Caruso. Like, I, I don't know what Dylan Brooks would do for us. He's like, he's a complete dick. Like, I don't know. Like, it's so bad. They're just like, you're just not going to be on the team next year. Uh, DeMar DeRozan for D'Angelo Russell in the signing trade was one thrown out there. I would maybe consider this depending on the cost of D'Angelo Russell. I mean, I think like DeMar DeRozan is better than D'Angelo Russell and maybe DeMar DeRozan can last another three years and still be better than D'Angelo Russell. But this does have a chance to me of potentially keeping you basically even on talent, uh, but getting younger. So when I talked about like the three legs, like this is a move where I'm like, all right, this, this gives you the longer timeline and maybe, you know, we really need a point guard and, and Russell is not an amazing point guard, but he's like, it may be solid and he can shoot and helps us in that way. And DeMar didn't shoot. And so now we've got, you know, Russell and Zach who can both shoot and we bring in, you know, Pat Williams can shoot. And maybe if Vooch is still here, you know, he could, shoot. maybe now we have like shooting is kind of solved. And like, I could, I could, I could squint real hard and see why maybe this makes sense uh, for both teams, but you know, hard to say. Um, and then of course now with the Celtics looking like they're going to impendingly collapse, there's like all kinds of rumors that Jalen Brown's going to be available. It's hard for me to see a Jalen Brown trade that makes sense for the Bulls. Like, I don't think the Celtics are going to be like, yeah, we'll take DeMar and Vooch for Jalen Brown. If they do, I'm totally in. Maybe would they take Zach for Jalen Brown? They basically would be in the same deal. Um, and the Celtics are probably going to want to try and win now if they make this trade. You know, Zach gives them more shooting, less defense. Maybe they would do that. You know, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to see us being the high bidder in that scenario, but there might be a limited market of teams that can trade a player who can help you win right now. And so maybe then that is uh, ultimately what uh, what makes this go. So we'll see what happens. I, I am excited to see where the Bulls end up this season. I, I, mean, I don't think it's going to be great. Maybe I, I just oversaid that. I'm not super excited. I think it's going to be a train wreck. But at least it's always interesting to see what the next iteration of the team will be like, what direction they take and what happens. One final thing I'm going to throw out there, and I think Bulls fans tend to think like, oh, we have this front office. Like we have to keep these guys for like 15 years because that's what the Bulls do. There's no reason, like, if this doesn't work out, like, you can't just get rid of Acme. Like, there's just not. Like, these guys just don't look good right now. And maybe they'll have some rabbits they can pull out of their hat. Like, I don't see it. I don't see where you're going to be able to move the needle on this team based on where things are. But maybe they'll figure out a way. Maybe they'll be right, and Lonzo will come back and save us somehow. I like, I just, I just hate thinking about that. I mean, there's, like, actually a rumor out there that people in the front office and the people with power think Lonzo Ball can come back and be a big contributor still. And I'm like, man, that just, that just scares the hell out of me. That, like, that's your thought process here. It's tough because there's just so few things you can do with Lonzo. But, but man, if you actually believe that, that's really, really scary. I mean, if it happens, great. I would love that. Love that for Lonzo. Love that for the Bulls. But boy, does that just seem like a bad approach. Anyway, there's no reason we can't just can these guys and just bring in someone else. Because Acme doesn't look like they're willing to admit their mistakes and move on. So our front office, our ownership better admit their mistakes and move on and say, you know what? This just isn't the group. These just aren't the guys. Like, it's just time to do something else. You know, it's, it's okay. All right. That'll wrap it up for this edition of The Bulls Beat. I will talk to you again when I have something substantive and meaningful to put on a podcast.